Hello, folks. Welcome back to Do. Today we have a badass A gamer guest, a personal friend, and my performance coach. Funny story how how we met. Um, Elijah Sakra. He's an exercise physiologist and functional medicine health coach. I say he's the top in the world. Um, deals with many special oper operations folks with uh, disabilities and or non-disabilities to help with performance. Uh, Marine Corps veteran, true patriot, uh, very selfless, like total selfless uh, leader, uh, has a resume that is absolutely impressive. And, you know, Elijah can talk more about that, but I'm, you know, looking at... Uh, <laughs> the education bachelor's degree in exercise kit, uh, kineology and um, functional medicine, health coach certification, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, welcome, Elijah. Thanks for having me, Ron. It's an honor to be here and great to support the podcast and any endeavor you're involved in. Thank you. So Elijah, um, what got you into exercise physiology? Um, well, to start, I was the oldest of seven kids and we didn't have a lot of money, but we did have weights and like a wrestling area in our basement. And so me and my brother were just like wrestle and do mar self-taught martial arts, alpha library books back in the day, pre-internet. And so I was always into working out. Uh, but the real um, thing that started me on the path that I am now was I was in the Marine Corps. I was the top fitness guy for my particular battalion. And then I had a string of injuries that included me really hurting my lower back, which caused nerve damage in my legs. And then uh, the biggest injury was fracturing C three, four, and five in my neck in a vehicle accident, tactical vehicle accident that uh, gave, also gave me a head injury and uh, nerve damage in both arms. And so I went from being, you know, kind of the PT God, if you will, which is the term we used in the Marine Corps to really struggling and then not telling anybody about it, but determined to kind of fix myself. And in doing so, I ended up doing what I do for a living. Wow. That, that, uh, you had to over some, overcome some adversity there. Um, what's your philosophy on physical performance? Well, I'll tell you what I came, my roots are based in what I call Marine Corps Neanderthal knuckle dragger fitness, which included maybe three or four exercises and barking at people and calling them derogatory names at best. <laughs> so my roots were in that where you were just kind of like shaming somebody into getting in shape. And then over the past 30 years, I've collected a couple different credentials every year. And so there's pieces of truth in all those credentials. And so what's what it has evolved into are some words that a friend of mine, Pat McNamara uses. It's self-preservation and longevity. And then some words from the functional medicine community. It's really looking at a balanced approach of the roots of what we call the functional medicine tree and making sure all these little different sections are optimized so that you're moving forward as you age with a balanced approach and you're catching problems before they even start. And do you want me to talk about the the, the functional medicine tree? Absolutely. Sure. Think, yeah, it's very important for the audience to understand this. 
So functional medicine in stark contrast with allopathic medicine, allopathic medicine is what you would get if you go to a hospital or, or a regular doctor, and we call it the name it, blame it, tame it, bill it, refill it model. You walk in, they name your ailment. They find the billing code on the chart, and that corresponds to a pill, potion, or some type of um, pharmaceutical, usually. And then they hand you that, and that's supposed to tame your ailment, and then you're going to bill it and refill it. And then that has usually side effects that cause you to have to have another medication. And so in stark contrast to what we call allopathic medicine, we, Clarissa and I, and the people we work with, my wife, Clarissa, uh, use functional medicine. So functional medicine is a systems-based approach that looks at everything like a tree. In the roots of the tree, instead of going to a gut health doctor who specializes in gut health or a heart doctor or a skin doctor, they're saying, forget all those isolated pathways and let's look at the root causes of where we actually are causing problems. And so I'm going to read off of an infographic right now that you can certainly include in your show notes. And so the first root is sleep, sleep and relaxation. Hmm. So my philosophy in that department is managing stimuli um, before you go to bed, i.e. blue light and or TV watching, or don't be looking at a spreadsheet one minute before you go lay down of that's causing you financial stress yep. or watch your coffee or other type of food-based stimulants yep. and try to get your seven or eight hours of sleep and make sure your set and setting and your environment are conducive to that. Um, it's hard for some people with young children and things like that, but there are some interventions we use, uh, one of them being Yo I Rest Yoga Nidra by a Dr. Richard Miller, and it is the intervention that's used in the soft community and in the VA, and for 20 minutes of Yoga Nidra meditation practice is the equivalent of four hours of sleep. So if you're deficient in one of, in the, in one of these other categories of set and setting, or if you've got kids screaming, or you're on a deployment cycle that doesn't allow for sleep, you can insert I rest yoga nidra and capture some of that back. So you're not in a sleep deficit. And so pillar number one is sleep hygiene. I would say. Wow. That's, uh, that's significant that, uh, the I rest, uh, meditation you're talking about that replenishes you up to four hours worth of sleep. That's yeah, it's 20 minutes of I rest yoga nidra is the equivalent of, uh, four hours of REM sleep. It's been around for 5,000 plus years. But Dr. Richard Miller kind of uh, added some clinical metrics to it so that it would be accepted by the DOD and the VA because they weren't just going to let somebody come in there and teach meditation and say that it does X, Y, or Z. So Richard, Dr. Richard Miller, who Clarissa is trained with and is certified by, actually has has data behind it to kind of prove that. And so that's gotcha. pillar number one. And it's something I'm still working on, I would say, out of all these roots that I'm going to talk about. Uh, sleep is the worst one for me. I do my best work at midnight when the whole house is quiet. And that's when I kind of uh, <laughs> come up with my plans to take over the world and you know, all the, all the yeah. numbers start crunching. And it's terrible because <laughs> I usually have to be up at 6am or something for an early client. So it's in, uh, the, it's in stark contrast 
to how I need to get up in the morning and I do my best work late at night. So I mean, this has to be the, the toughest one to solve really the rest and relaxation because we're, we live in such a busy world and, you know, you, everybody has families and uh, stimulus and the, the, uh, the phones and everything else. Um, do you find that, you know, your clients, is this the hardest one? Oh, for sure. Um, it, you know, we could all drop everything and move to a hillside in Tibet and talk about how awesome that would be. But the reality is we're not doing that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even if I say I'm going to do a digital detox, I train half my clients online. Uh, I have to look on my phone for their programming or YouTube to learn things. So it's, and we're in this weird space where it's like hard to do a digital detox. And I'm following this woman online right now who's got some rules that I haven't followed yet, but she doesn't look at anything before 8 a.m. or anything within two hours of bedtime. And so she's compartmentalizing the digital world because we have to use it unless you're moving to Tibet, which we aren't. And uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to onboard something like that, but it, and then you could probably speak to this too, but I, I came from a culture of I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yep. And that, that was the mantra in the Marine Corps. And it was like a badge of honor. If you could get up and run the three to five mile battalion run on no sleep and, and maybe some tequila in your body. <laughs> And so I'm, yeah. trying to, I'm trying to run in the opposite direction of that these days. <laughs> Ditto. So uh, pillar number two, if we're ready for that, is exercise yeah. and movement. And this is where it gets a little hairy because you could fight a religious war over what exercise modality is best. Sure. And if you look, if you throw out all the certifications that I have or that we've all been exposed to or the late night infomercials, the truisms that I feel that people should pay attention to is you should have some structural alignment in posture as a basic starting point. Hmm. So if your body's out of whack from being hunched over computer screens or doing vehicle mounted operations or carrying a heavy pack, if you haven't addressed getting long and having some semblance of joint stacking, anything you go do without doing that is actually going to start causing you problems. So pillar number one is address posture. Pillar number two is all humans are becoming front chain dominant. And mm -hmm. what that means is if you walk into the local mall, Costco, church, wherever you go, and you look at anybody over the age of 50 or 60, they're all caving into the front. Their heads are all out in front of their bodies. Their shoulders are all internally rotated and they're looking like a uh, very ape or Cro-Magnon like. So the reverse of, or the counter to front chain dominance is called back chain dominance. And this means strengthening your back, your glutes, your hamstrings and your posterior chain as a priority. And the system that does that the best is a system called foundation training. And foundation training also helps decompress your spine and expand your rib cage and kind of restore you to homeostasis. So Dr. Eric Goodman uh, is a good friend of mine who's the founder of that system. And Jesse Salas, their education director, 
We've done extensive work with the military and fire departments, some law enforcement, and a lot of civilians. And it single-handedly the best starting point for people that are just trying to get off the couch or manage injuries or just perform better. So foundationtraining.com would be your first starting point for posture, posterior chain activation, and learning how to decompress your rib cage. Yeah, folks, uh, I went, you know, Elijah coached me on that. And I'll tell you, um, I am injury free as a result of that, um, that the training and um, getting my posture straightened out. I otherwise, like a couple of times I was hiking and I tripped and almost fell. I knew I would have probably pulled a hammy or something and, uh, and it didn't because of the preventative uh, uh, functional medicine training that Elijah has taught me. I appreciate that. Well, it takes hard work and applied knowledge. I can't tell you how many people I've sent links to videos to, and I see them a year later. These are not even clients and they haven't even looked at the video. So Ron, thank you for doing the ho- actually doing the homework and empowering yourself, which is an important piece of the puzzle. And uh, it dials into the name of the podcast do because you actually went and did. Absolutely. It's all about it's always seeking self-improvement. For sure. Uh, Pillar number two on that exercise and movement piece um, is what I call three-dimensional strength. If you look at your traditional gym training, it is what I call pump and grunt training. It is push, pull, curl, press, squat, deadlift. And all of those are what are called in the sagittal plane. And sagittal plane means you're only facing forward. But if you look at where ass kicking occurs, sport occurs, saving people occurs. It's in a rotational plane or moving multi-directionally. So if your fitness program doesn't include rotation or transverse plane work, it doesn't include lateral movement and maybe some reverse movement and moving in all the directions a human can move in, you're training yourself one-dimensionally. So when you're called upon, whether it's to grab your kid from running out in front of a car or picking something off the ground and putting it up on a shelf. Or if you're in combat and having to drag somebody diagonally or pick up a heavy ammo can and move it somewhere else. If you've only trained one dimensionally, you're basically have primed your body for injury. So I believe in bulletproofing the body in three dimensions. And there's a couple systems out there that uh, who've helped me understand how to do that. And one of them is functional patterns. And the other one is a trainer in Boca Raton named uh, Juan Carlos Santana, not to be confused with the singer. Uh, he was a MMA coach. And uh, that's the style of training, Ron, that we did with the bands where I had you chopping in different directions, stepping in different directions and changing yeah. in different directions. Yeah, that that is some slick training. Yeah. That's like, like we all get like these injuries and it's always in a twisting or bending um, fashion. Not, not for sure. The the pump and grunt uh, training that you're talking about in typical gyms. So it is, it's badass. So essentially you need to stress inoculate yourself to all the positions you might move in as a human with load and with tension. So that when you go there in real life, that it is not a surprise to your body. And so the other pillar to think about is 
in keeping with this idea, you could fight a religious war. If you go on YouTube and look at what's the best exercises, there's 50 different, 50 million trainers saying what the best exercise is and throw all that out and say, what do humans actually do? Humans push, humans pull, humans rotate, humans ro raise and lower their body and humans locomote. There's five pillars of movement that humans do. And so most exercises fit into those pillars of movement. And so when you're making your exercise choices to kind of plan or program a workout, you should include pushing, pulling, rotation, raising and lowering the body and locomotion. And all of it should be in 3D as in all directions. That, that's and so interesting way of training. It's, it's a systems philosophy based approach versus exercise clipboard memorization based approach. And when you can take a client and teach them philosophy, you're then empowering them to be able to make their own judgment calls and create their own workouts and teach them how to fish versus relying on you as the all-knowing arbiter of exercise. Yeah. Wow. How do you inspire students, patients to embrace the cutting edge techniques you teach? I would say, we had a saying in the Marine Corps, teaching things Barney style. I love you, you love me. It was the big kids cartoon. <laughs> and what Barney style means is crawl, walk, run. Most of the stuff I'm saying to people when they walk in on day one, they have not heard because they come from a traditional background. Uh, pain is a good motivator. Some people are in pain, they're more apt to listen. Or if they're trying to if they're 15 years in and five years away from their retirement in the military, they're trying to not get kicked off their team. That's a big motivator. So there's yeah. some other factors that play, play into this, but Barney style. So I, the science shows that clients or patients or, or, or people or athletes can only take about two new concepts per interaction when you're coaching them, or they're going to be overloaded. So I could sit here and hand you a book of everything you need to do over the next six months, but instead I slow drip, morphine drip your exercise tidbits in, and I call it snack-based training. So handing people snacks of philosophy and snacks of movement. Uh, instead of, I'm not anti one hour workout, but most people the one hour workout is the most skipped thing on planet earth. Mm. So if you're trying to get somebody going, I would encourage you to embrace the three to six small snacks a day of five to 15 minutes. And let's say you only get one or two of the snacks because life came up. You got the phone call, the kids needed to be picked up or something yep. happened in your job. You at least did not get to the end of your day with a zero. And as you're trying to establish your own culture of wellness and fitness, it is essential that you have the snack-based approach that you that to gain traction. And so that's how I teach. I, that is, I've never heard that in physical performance or works out, uh, workouts with uh, snacks, little snacks during the day. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, when I started, uh, you know, having you be my coach, I was drinking from a fire hose. Like I thought I knew everything about working out. Boy, I, I sure didn't. I learned so much. And when I started using this, this snack-based approach, it's been awesome. 
especially in, in, in a busy lifestyle we all have. Um, it's, it's, uh, I've been doing it for years. I actually started with the snacks because I was so injured. I couldn't do a one hour workout because I was hurting. So I had to sprinkle it throughout my day. And so some people are in that space. Um, but years later, a couple of years ago, somebody sent me a video called how to work out smarter. And it was a, uh, 20 minute excerpt from a Joe Rogan podcast with a famous MMA coach named Faraz Zahibi. And Faraz is the MMA coach and jujitsu coach for George St. Pierre, one of the all-time greats in the UFC. Oh yeah. And he says consistency and volume trump intensity. So the guy that hazes himself for a fight camp, he's got to take the next two months off and train really little because he's so beat up. But the person that does a little bit every day has more volume at the end of the year than the person that hazed themselves. Yeah. So even though we're not MMA fighters, you can, it was the first time I had heard somebody on a higher level than me, who was kind of world famous say what I'd been doing. And I was like, okay, good. Somebody who's like considered an all-time great coach in the MMA community is saying the same thing and he's right. training UFC champions. So it was the first time I had a little bit of like validation beyond what I knew I knew what I was doing personally worked because I saw clients transform themselves, but I hadn't heard anyone else. I hadn't heard anyone else say it in the industry. Yeah. So that, look that up on YouTube, Faraz Zahibi, Joe Rogan, how to work up smarter, how to work out smarter. It's a 20 minute video. Watch it. Gotcha. If you had one piece of advice to people struggling with motivation, what would it be? Uh, be nice to yourself. And everybody talks about holding themselves to such high standards. There's a double-edged sword with that. It becomes self-abuse at some point when you continue to hold yourself to such high standards and become obsessive with uh, perfection. And so in the public eye, this, oh, he's a perfectionist. He, he holds himself to high standards. You don't know, and, and that's put on a pedestal. And I, and I do that. I hold myself to high standards, but I'm saying there's a balanced approach to high standards and perfection where if you go too hard, it can actually hurt you. And so you don't know the pain and misery that people are causing themselves by being too perfect or chasing too much perfection. So I would say, give yourself some latitude for error and keep coming back and have tenacity and perseverance. And if you get one snack instead of six sacks, pat yourself on the back and say you had more than a zero. So I would say, give yourself a little forgiveness and be nice to yourself and uh, give yourself some grace. And that one and two snacks and that forgiveness will parlay into the eventually becoming that six snacks, high standard person. That's what I do today, but it isn't done through hazing and it's not done through torture based anxiety based fitness. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. Um, and heck, you know, bringing up the words, you know, tenacity, perseverance, adaptability. Um, what Elijah's talking about, folks, is uh, it, it's all relevant to to the words we we uh, you know intelligently think about. How do you manage the backside of your business while having so many clients? Interesting that you say that because that's pillar number one of the pillars on the roots of the tree. It's called stress and resilience. Um, Nobody knew this, but I was running myself ragged, hurting, 
I, you know, I have my own injuries that I was dealing with and my own lack of sleep. And you can't walk into a client's session and say, oh, by the way, my back's hurting right now. Let me help you with your back. It doesn't go over well. And so this is where I was 10 and 15 years ago. And so um, I met a coach who had a system he was a coach for called, if your life was a business, would you invest in it? Hmm. And though it was two corporate coaches who wrote this book from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And the guy who was coaching me, Jerry Bergner, he was just coaching individuals in this system. And he basically, the basic format is your life is divided up into about eight different businesses. One of your businesses is your family, probably. One of your business is your tribe, your friends and your people you hang out with. Another business is your health and well-being. Another business might be your hobbies. Uh, Another business might be your spiritual path or your faith or whatever grounds you in terms of flow state. And so most people have about eight businesses and you dissect those eight businesses and you find out what is serving you in each one of them. You find out what is not serving you and you figure out what is doing well that you need to maintain. And you run those metrics through what is called a Boston Consulting Matrix, which is usually used for business development. And you get rid of, you reduce what you've identified as not serving you. You grow what you think could serve you more and you maintain what is already paying dividends. And so I did that for each one of these businesses. And the big one for me was uh, the what I call the administrative vortex. Mm. And what that means is just endless trying to do my own accounting, trying to write everything down on paper. And so I use tech, Google Drive. I use calendar invites to send people invitations with their Zoom links embedded in them. I use Google Drive to write down all people's programmings. I can easily share a document with a client. And if I change something in that document, the next time that I meet that meet with them, it is changed in real time and I don't have to send them another email. And so I leverage technology to help me do my job better. And it basically creates a clone of yourself. And then I also offloaded things that I shouldn't be spending time on. So I I hired a bookkeeper, I hired an accountant, and I offloaded all this crap off my plate that I knew how to do, but it isn't the lane of what was serving me. Wow. That I never thought of like running your life like a business. Yeah. It's, it's, I I never heard of it either. And it was single-handedly the, uh, it's, there's a book, you can get it on Amazon. It's called, if your life was a business, would you invest in it? But the coach, Jerry Bergner, is like who really made it personal for me and like helped me figure out what my businesses were. And you name your businesses. And so I came up with very creative names. And uh, like my health and wellness was like this, my health and wellness, personal health and wellness business for me, like making myself better was like the Samurai Project. And so I gave it this like, I gave it this name that meant something, you know, like yeah. it was, you're, you're being a warrior and you need to live accordingly, even if you're not yeah. in the Marine Corps anymore. And right. so the, the admin side of my business, I named the administrative vortex. And so I, I called it something sucky that I was getting sucked into. Yeah. So Sounds about made, right. too. So words matter. 
as you've said in your in your intro uh, podcast. And so I named things that created a feeling. So when I said them, I didn't want to go there or I wanted to go there more in the case of the uh, samurai warrior. Uh, yeah. Wow. So, yes, that's one of the pillars of the tree. Do live, identify things in your life in such a way that you can reduce stress and have resilience. You know, the military has all these resilience in name only programs, and I'm not bashing resilience programs, the military, but a lot, there's a lot of stuff on handouts. Nobody's actually coaching people to figure out what they can grow or reduce in their life to actually make their life better. So yeah. I could sit here and hand out a thousand handouts to clients and be like, here's a, here's a resiliency handout, but you really need to dig deep and identify what is serving you and what isn't serving you and cut that stuff off, which is not serving you. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I personally think it's, I think it's hard for people to like really look at themselves in the mirror like that. Like, how were you able to sit down and like figure out what you wanted to do and how you wanted to change it? Uh, pain and having your life suck is a good motivator. And so at the point that I met Jerry and did this, I was like, I had the nonprofit. I had the bit, the front facing view of me was very good. I was like all squared away at businesses working with the military and, and the dream scenario, but I was running myself ragged. And so I came to Jerry desperate and I needed to change something because, uh, I was doing so much free work that I was stressed out about money. I was, um, not getting any sleep because I was staying up doing accounting till 1am and then having to be at work the next day. So I would say I couldn't do it without a guy named Jerry. So I needed, needed a coach and I hire coaches to this day to help me out in these categories to help flesh it out. So I, I believe in hiring coaches to help guide you through processes, whether yeah. it's a fitness coach or, or a, you know, some type of health coach or business coach, or I had, he's kind of a life coach, I guess you would call him the guy I hired. Yeah. I think a lot of people kind of look at their life like it's all on them. And like you said, I think everybody needs to sit down and take take a step back and find their Jerry, like how you found your Jerry. Like, that's a big thing that sure. a lot of people seem to want to think that they can do everything. They can tackle the world by themselves. And I think finding your Jerry is something that everybody needs to do. So that's that's great. I appreciate that. And I, I need to go thank Jerry again because I don't even know if he knows what he did for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, the trend is no one is coming to save us and it's all up to us. And a lot of people say it's up to you, but I think it's up to us. And that us includes your team. I've got 15 people helping me, whether it's a buddy that I call or a coach that I have or something along those lines. Absolutely. Well, folks, um, I think you're hearing what Elijah's saying is, and, and I see it, like, even though you become very successful, like Elijah and Alan, and in my past successes, we're, you know, we're all still honing our skills. We're all seeking self-improvement. We're all seeking help from others to maintain that success and to get to the next level. And as you see, Elijah is constantly doing that. And it's absolutely impressive. Um, I, I appreciate it. Elijah. So what is your word? Uh, my word used to be something hardcore like discipline or, or one of the classic 
thing you would hear from a Marine as it relates to leadership. Now my word is love. And I do things out of love for myself, as in I used to not love myself because I was hurting myself through overworking. And, and I'm not using the word love in the context of Valentine's Day. I'm yep. saying love as in taking care of yourself. Yep. And love as in every client I have and every person I'm coaching, I care about deeply, even if I just met them. And I go all in on hearing it. I go all in on wanting to know about their personal story and do whatever it takes to help them out. And I try to do what I call heart-based leadership rather than like, when I first started the nonprofit and went onto a Marine Corps base, I hadn't been on a Marine Corps base in a while teaching. And I was very much posturing and came into a little bit of ego, was trying to talk a certain way. And like, I need to get back to my, I need to deliver this in a tough guy manner because of my audience. Yeah. And the reality was, is what those guys needed was love and compassion. Mm. They didn't need more tough guy. And that's not saying that I'm not a tough guy and don't do jujitsu and don't shoot my guns and, and do my other types of training, but it's, it's a, the lens that you are leading and teaching through is heart centered or, or love based. And it's more of love and compassion. And when you do that, you're taking ego out of the way and you're taking posturing out of the way and you're coming from a place of no dogma and you're willing to draw from any modality and work in a context of instead of teaching from a how much I know perspective, what is it going to take to actually help this human? Right. And when I coach somebody, it isn't Elijah's plan. It's a collaborative approach of, hey, Ron, how are you feeling today? And it might be different than what I planned on teaching at the beginning of the session. And I need to be nimble and be able to maneuver and match what you need and deliver what you need and look through the lens of love and compassion so that I'm actually empowering you and giving you what you need. And when you do that for somebody, they don't feel like they need to prove something to you. They don't feel like they need to uh, meet some arbitrary metric and they're going to be more empowered to do something rather than, oh my God, I need to do this for Elijah or meet some whiteboard rule that's on the side on this, on the gym wall. Wow. That, that, that's an impressive way of, uh, looking at it. And your word is badass. Um, you know, basically Elijah, you are providing uh, great leadership to your clients and you get them involved in the process. And that's why you're so successful. In my opinion, you give them ownership, like what you said. And, and it sounds like you're using the word adaptability constantly on, you know, interviewing your clients before a session and, and, and adapting like daily. For sure. And I wish I could see you, uh, this style was some stroke of genius, but it was really born out of someone not doing that to me and telling me what I had to do and not listening to my injury patterns and things of those, that nature. And so I was like, when I become good at what I do, which I feel like I am at this point, I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to be the person that listens and actually makes a client part of the process. And so it's, uh, it was really born out of a net more negative experience I had early in my early days of training. And so wow. I decided I don't want to be like that. Well, Elijah, I really appreciate your time and coming on and, uh, 
you know, spreading some uh, leadership and business wisdom to our listeners. I want to give a shout out to uh, your wife, Clarissa, who is the badass uh, nutritionist I spoke about who will be on soon. And to Warrior Wellness Solutions, uh, Elijah and Clarissa's nonprofit, um, which uh, has has helped me. Um, Bryce, do we have a WWRD question today? Yes, we do. Somebody submitted a response that said, was there ever a time in your life where you wanted to quit your job? WWRD. Yes. Yes. And look, like, it's my belief that we all actually think about like, Hey, do I keep going? Um, especially in times where I had, you know, lost some teammates and had some adversity and what I had, you know, I just couldn't do it. Um, and I found that perseverance, uh, and over time, time heals and times makes things better. And, and having that fortitude and tenacity to push through it, until you see, you know, the sunlight at the end of the, the, the darkness that you may be going through. So, um, yeah, you know, I think everybody has, uh, the word quit pop up in their mind when they're being pressed, but the, the, the most important thing is to not do that and to keep pressing forward. I appreciate everybody. Excuse me. It's a hundred percent agree. If not me, then who? You know, no one's, no one else is going to be doing what we're doing. So, yeah. Um, folks, uh, please send in your questions to do the Pastino show at yahoo.com. Also, there is a, a question tab on the Spotify app under our show. Please leave your questions there. All the other uh, listeners can uh, also see it. Uh, give us a, you know, a, a rating on uh, Apple and Spotify as well, even if it's just uh, a thumbs up or, you know, hit, hit the, uh, the stars on there. So, uh, you know, we can always make ourselves better and refine this process. We promise you that we will constantly try to make this better and bring on the best guests so we can all learn from um, people's challenges and successes and understanding the words that we talk about and how it brings you to the next level. I will see you next week. Bryce and I appreciate it. Elijah, thanks again. Do.